Right now on Tech Radio, has Zuckerberg Zucker punched Musk? Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. Every week online and on air with RTE Radio, we bring you the very latest in tech. You're welcome to episode 977. Later on, our guest today is Caroline Lennon, the top person at Salesforce Ireland. And we'll be chatting about how they are using AI to make business more effective and successful. Along with our big story of the week, why Instagram is stringing us along. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. As always, our Tech Central Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson, is with us. I suppose the big story this week is Instagram, threads, Zuckerberg, Musk, wrestling, fighting over, you know, who's going to dominate the uh, the whole social media space. And so tell me everything you know. Yeah, well, as Winston <laughs> Churchill once said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, and this is pretty much what's happening at the moment. Uh, I mean, we've been watching Twitter implode since last October when Elon Musk wildly overpaid for it and has been trying to make up for for the, uh, I, I don't know, his mistake ever since. Um, over the last week, we've already seen the number of tweets you can view uh, fall through the floor. If you pay for your blue tick. Uh, you can see 6,000 tweets mm-hmm. a day. If you're unverified, like the majority of the world, you can see 600. Uh, and if you've just signed up and you're unverified, you can see 300. So the reason that he came out and said this is to say, you know, we don't want all this scraping going on. Effectively, we we don't want people building large language models off Twitter. Um, I mean, you know, people got away with it on Reddit uh, or using the Enron corpus and all this sort of stuff. You're mm. not doing it on Twitter, not on my watch, um, which actually has a bang of, uh, you know, a, a slightly reasonable position. However, when you think of the fact that they weren't paying Google, their cloud service. Uh, I, I sense a renegotiation of terms in the background <laughs> somewhere. I mean, you, you know, that. Twitter is also getting sued for not paying the rent on its buildings. Mm. It's also uh, forcing thousands of people into arbitration uh, over non-paid bonuses and, you know, uh, uh, other terms that were unfulfilled. Uh, unfortunately, it's a move that's going to cost them an awful lot more than if they dealt mm. with it as a class action have to park that to one side. Uh, and of course, they're being sued by music publishers for $250 million um, because Twitter doesn't have the kind of licensing um, uh, agreement in place that uh, the likes of YouTube uh, seem to seem to have in place. So all these problems, more money, more problems, all, uh, all backing up, which has created the a- space. Yeah. It's created a little crisis. Well, a big crisis is what he's in the middle of. And Mark Zuckerberg is making the most of it. Yep. He is, he's stepped in and he is like, you know, Instagram that, you know, 2 billion people already have and Mm. use. Uh, Well, guess what? I'm adding a text-based conversational element to it. Uh, You will get 500 characters. Uh, You log in, you've already got an account. That's fine. If you get threads from iOS or, or Google Play, uh, all your followers will immediately transfer over to Google Threads. Mm-hmm. We'll show you some other stuff based on algorithmic recommendations as well. But, you know, your contacts are already there. You'll be able to chat with them already. 
Um, and you know that it's it's not going to be full of, you know, hate speech or, or you know, misinformation or anything like that, because it's your contacts are the people you already follow and you trust. You will not hear me say this often, but I will say it. And we are re- on a recorded media with a podcast, so it will be pr- captured for all time and prosperity. OK, OK. It looks like Meta have made a pretty decent job of it. I, I think they saw a gap in the market. Uh, they also saw that they have five times the user base. True, true. And just well, went, no, what I mean yep. is they've actually made, like programming wise, do you know what I mean? Functionality, mm-hmm. uh, it's great, you know, kind of uh, the, 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 the way it looks and the way it works and it's nice and simple and da, 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 and it's familiar and everything. It's essentially a Twitter copy. All right. They haven't oh, done yeah. anything d- different with it at all. And then just the fact that they've tied it in with Instagram. And as you say, that's got 2 billion users worldwide. It's like kind of if 10% of Instagram users start using this, well, then they're already bigger than Twitter. So I just think, yep. you know, kind of, Kudos to Zuckerberg and Meta and Instagram for actually getting in there and doing it well. Unless. Uh Uh-oh. Here's where we get to the bit where I'm chomping at the bit. My smartphone is in my hand. I'm going, how do I get this wonderful threads thing onto my phone? Niall, tell us everything. Yeah, unless you're in the EU. Uh, If you're in a country with a fairly liberal... uh, uh, regime when it comes to data protection, I think have at it. The US and the UK definitely have it anyway. If you're in the EU, uh, no, sorry. Um, reason being, it, uh, Threads actually asks for a lot of your personal data, um, to which the EU basically went, not, no, no, or rather Facebook in a self-preservation, mm. uh, a move of self-preservation knew they wouldn't be allowed to gather certain data um, and are playing it, playing it smart by not launching in Europe just yet. So what, what version of threads will we end up getting in Europe? That's quite interesting. Also quite interesting is how badly smashed Twitter is going to get when the Digital Services Act ramps up and things like hate speech uh, will become uh, grounds for Mm. um, sanction. Uh, So you know, is is Twitter going to run itself into the ground financially uh, because its owner is a free speech absolutist in very <sighs> commas, quite possible, which would mean that Facebook end up winning that war. And, I, I, but, think, I, I think Facebook would end up winning that war because Musk, that was a personal thing that Musk did and he's making an absolute balls of it. Excuse my French. Um so I think Instagram are going to win on that. I think it throws very interesting things because it's great that it's happening this week and it seems to be you know, a runaway overnight success kind of a thing with threads and we'd all love to see it. It adds really interesting sides to other stories that are going on at the moment. And as you've just said, GDPR, for that very reason, because, you know, Meta have just been fined like a billion euro by the EU for mm-hmm. data uh, breaches and stuff like that. They're not making the same mistake again. So Threads is not available in Ireland or elsewhere in the EU, but it is available in the UK. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. Literally, I can drive up to Newry. 
I, I, can, I can have it. <laughs> is, that is, isn't that the way? Uh, uh, what was the time people used to drive up and fill up with, uh, you know, cans yeah, and stuff like that yeah, and absolutely. bring it back? But you've got that GDP. So we're actually seeing a real kind of uh, use of that. And then we've got the uh, the the digital, uh, the, there's an AI act that is coming in. So that's yeah, going to affect everything as well. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got the, what is it? The DCA. Uh, well, there's the Digital Markets Act and the there Digital Services Act. There you go, that's the one I'm thinking Act. of. Yes, yes, yes. So the two of those kind of combined as well then are having a huge effect on all of the really, really big uh, providers out there. So uh, what do they call them? Gateway providers, isn't they? So Facebook, Instagram, Apple, mm. uh, Amazon, all of those kind of levels all have to abide with these new kind of digital laws that are coming in. And they're they're restrictive in the sense in that it is very protective of the consumer and the citizen here in the EU, which, you know, Mm. boom, I like. Yep, me too. Uh, And it's that eternal problem. uh, Well, two eternal problems. In Europe, we say you made the data, it's yours. Mm. Um, In America, they say you made the data on our platform, it's ours. Uh, The two views are not compatible. Um, And also over here, we're saying, uh, well, you're not a platform, you're a publisher because mm. you're allowing speech on your, you know, website or, or what have you. Therefore, you have a duty of care to your use, users. Mm. Uh, in the States, it's we are a platform. We're just providing yeah. a space. We are a time. We are a town square. It's all very interesting how it's playing out. And I'm thinking long term because in, you know, kind of 20 years or probably more likely to in 50 years time, all of these issues will have been ironed out. I'd be interested to see how, and it'll it'll work globally, whatever way. Uh, however, uh, another thing that's come up, and this is kind of related as well with social media, we've had all the stories of the the rioting in France and, and Paris um, over the news there. One of the things that they've been saying in France is that the rioters and the young people, the young people, the youth, the youth. Um, are using social media in order to organise themselves. And one of the ideas being touted around now is that in circumstances where riots and this kind of stuff is happening, they want the ability to turn off social media. Mm. So it's kind of like, you know, kind of if there is a national lockdown or something like that, well, that's it. Your Facebook is gone or your Twitter is gone or your threads is gone or whatever happens to be on uh, on the particular day itself. It's kind of interesting. And, and they defined that a little bit more by saying that they wouldn't just like kill the platform. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about very selective turning off. So to turn off things like geolocation so that mm. if people are trying to share their location, they won't be able to in certain circumstances mm. of national emergency and stuff like that. And of course, like the minute Macron says that as a suggestion and the prime minister over there, I can't, uh, it's a lady, I can't remember her name. Um, however, uh, th- th- now they're being accused of authorian- authoritarian, going, you, you'll be able to say it. Well, author- authoritarian. There you go, Grant. Ism at the end of it. <laughs> One of those things. Um, but that's what he's being accused of. And people are likening it to what's happened in the past in China and Iran. And they're, they're saying that France will be the new one of those very restrictive kind of countries. Well, so. yeah, there, there was also the attempt to ban Twitter in India. Mm. And there was also years ago the big blow up about BlackBerry Messenger, uh, if you remember, because it's uh, it's uh, it was encrypted. Um, so if the government wanted to say, oh, let's let's have a look at what's mm. being said over BlackBerry, they were like, oh, sorry, 
can't do it. Um, and of course, you know, it, there there are ways to get around these things. I mean, you know, you can use VPN servers and um, that kind of thing to to hide uh, where you are. Mm. But uh, yeah, social media has been a, a huge um, agent for change, I suppose, or certainly a way to coordinate action now i mean for Mm. better or for ill i mean we've seen protests from the far right over here um that have been coordinated uh through facebook so you know it it does happen across the political spectrum uh but it's always it's always concerning to see um platforms come come under pressure either to divulge user information or just be banned uh outright it's raising so, so many interesting questions. And and another thing that's come up, I suppose, in the same area this week is uh, Ireland is seen to have a stranglehold on GDPR enforcement. Well, well yeah, that's um, being pulled back, isn't it? It It is. I mean, one of the things um, Ireland has always prided itself on, uh, and we should, is the uh, is our attractiveness to tech companies from around the world. Mm. Right. And most of the big tech companies, um, you know, if you look at Meta slash WhatsApp, Google, Airbnb, Yahoo, Twitter, Microsoft slash LinkedIn, uh, Apple, and you know, I suppose smaller smaller letters, Tinder. Um, not to mention local success success stories like Intercom and Stripe, and um, mm. they've all got very healthy uh, presences here. You know, we've got Silicon Docs, we've got the likes of Dogpatch Labs, uh, we've got uh, the Porter Shed. Uh, down in uh, down in Galway, we've got places in Cork as well. You know, uh, tech. You know, it 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 does really well in Ireland. Um, however, we also have this. That means we have a responsibility to enforce GDPR. The the whole idea of GDPR. One of the issues was that complaints were just being spread over the EU. It was very tough to get a handle on what's actually going on. So GDPR created what they called a one-stop shop. It was okay if there's an infringement, just go to the country where there is that European base uh, and we'll solve it there. And that was meant to provide clarity as to which regular regulator would be involved. However, when you have a concentration of these companies in a small country with a very small budget, you've got a very big problem. And what has been happening over the last, uh, what, five years since GDPR came in you have an overworked uh, Data Protection Commission in Ireland. You've got complaints coming in from across Europe to be prosecuted over here, um, which are taking forever and leading to an awful lot of frustration. And indeed, European companies going after the tech giants themselves mm. uh, and getting, you know, getting some success uh, and even finding ways kind of around GDPR. Uh, I know in Germany, if you have, if you are part of a consumer organization, that organization can sue the tech company for GDPR infringement. So, you know, we're starting to see little ways around this. Uh, another route that, that has opened up is the way to approach what they're calling cross-border complaints, right? So this is a a, a matter of, okay, company in Ireland, is breached, your data gets leaked online, the DPC over here looks after it, that's fine, right, that's okay. Um, However, uh, Facebook leaks 500 million email addresses, right, which is kind of what happened. Um, it's, It's a problem that goes internationally, right? You will be able to, as a country, 
see the decision by the Irish Data Protection Commissioner, but the decision isn't binding just yet. You get to see the summary and the key points and you go, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, agree. Don't dis- uh, you know, disagree, whatever. And it means that you can take that to European level and go, yeah, I saw what Ireland is doing. I understand it. I, I endorse this. Or you'll be able to say, mm, no, dis- disagree with it. And the idea is to streamline the process and, you know, help regulators understand how other regulators are evaluating what's going on. Instead of having the current situation where the Irish DPC went to Europe mm. with their idea over um, uh, Facebook's issue with uh, terms and conditions, wherein they said, well, actually, Facebook put all the stuff they said that they, that they were going to use your data for in the terms and conditions, um, and you clicked OK to that. Therefore, they are GDPR compliant, uh, to which Europe said, no, 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 no that's, that's not right. Uh, you should have clear instructions as to what you can and can't do. Mm. Um, Facebook haven't been providing that. And that was where their 1.2 billion euro fine came from. So, you know, there does tend to be an awful lot of disagreement between the regulators, in Mm. particular, Ireland uh, and other regulators, because we're seen as being a bit of a soft touch. Now, we talked last week about the current state of GDPR enforcement, where if the DPC is investigating a company, you're not allowed to report who that company is. They don't have to tell you who that company is. Isn't that crazy? We're seeing a lot of that at the moment. <laughs> you know, who are you talking about? I'm sorry, I can't say. A GDPR can't say. Is, is, can't yeah, tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting because, you know, you and I were both saying earlier in the week that, you know, it's July, it's summer, it's quiet. But look at what we've been chatting about for the last 10, 15 minutes. Do you know what I mean? It's just this whole yep. social media thing. And the fact that uh, this week uh, Meta have launched Threads uh, has just kind of just thrown a whole load of things uh, for us to think about in our head. And, and it's great to chat about it. But uh, I think we just kind of leave it there because, I mean, there's, there's so many threads that we could follow. We'd be talking about Boom, boom. Unintentional. Niall Kitson, thank you so much as always for keeping us up and chatting about the news. This is Tech Radio from techcentral.ie. Get every episode of Tech Radio by clicking follow on your podcast player right now. Tech Radio was in London last week to cover the Salesforce World Tour, where they announced plans for a raft of AI products to add to the Salesforce Customer Relation Management System. Niall Kitson was there and he caught up with Ireland's country leader, Caroline Lennon, to talk about their plans. Carlan, we've all returned to the world of work, more or less, uh, post-COVID, a very different world of work where we have different terms of employment, um, different working weeks. Uh, In Salesforce, how have you managed that transition? Has it been a case of reinforcing the corporate culture or has it been a matter of, well, people actually wanted to come back to the office because they felt they were missing something by being out of it? 
So I think there's a, there's a couple of answers to that. I think uh, I'm relatively new to, to Salesforce, actually my first anniversary on Saturday. Um, and but Salesforce was always known for its culture and people joined Salesforce, you know, not just because of the great IT company it was, but also because they bought in, into, into that culture. Um, so I think people kind of wanted that from Salesforce. And I think in Ireland, we were lucky. Um, we got to move into this amazing building, um, you know, on the 20th of, of, of February and a building that was kind of designed with the way people want to work in the future in mind. So, you know, 70% more collaboration spaces, auditoriums. We're going to have a library, so quiet spaces, wellness spaces. So, you know, the, the idea of the work is how you work in an office is different. And we'll design for that. So I think that was a real jot in the arm for us in terms of people wanting to a, come back and experience the building and see what it was like. A lot of curiosity there. But then they liked what they saw and they've, they've sort of stayed. And I think, you know, while, you know, I think we'll never go back to the world of, you know, sort of nine to five and in five days a week. I do think it is very hard to create and maintain cultures remotely. Uh, You know, I do think people need to spend some time together learning, particularly earlier in your career, you know, where you learn a lot just by listening to people around you or asking that kind of question. So um, so I think for the, for the culture piece, you know, we are really encouraging people to come in and interact and, you know, and spend time with their colleagues. We, we had a lot of people during COVID, so their interview process was online, you know, their onboarding was online, and there's no doubt that they missed out on the previous, you know, sale, you know, those colleagues of mine have been here 13, 14 years, are still friends and in touch with sales force colleagues that they met on their offsite week on boarding all those kind of years ago. So not only are they friends, but it also gives them that kind of that network and that reach into into the company. So um, as far as what we're trying to do is sell the benefits of that and create an environment environment in you know in the Dublin Tower that's attractive to people. You know, we since we since we've moved in, we've done a new uh, strategy for Dublin. You know, we want to not just focus on culture, we want to really focus on quality, equality, we've done, which is very important to our employees. We've done a new equality strategy. We're actually planning in September to have like a trailblazer day where all our equality groups are going to be you know, out there showing everyone what they do, encouraging membership or whatever. So I suppose we're trying to create reasons for people to come in. We have a beautiful building. That's a, that's a reason in itself. But trying to encourage that. And I suppose it's we're having, it's having a knock-on effect. The more we do, the more people are engaged, the more they're kind of coming back. Yeah, I'd like to come into that uh, diversity point a little bit uh, later with you. Um, you raised the issue there of people missing out sort of those formative months where they're they're learning on their feet, they're learning on the job kind of a thing and expertise is very uh, accessible. So how do you manage to offset that then, you know, to teach somebody that, you know, one, it's okay to ask for help because you don't know what you don't know. Uh, and here are the people that can I, that you can ask. And maybe you've had to encourage people to maybe be a little more accessible than they would have been in the past. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of Salesforce's mantras for years and years before I was ever involved was there's no such thing as a dumb question. So I think they've always kind of had that philosophy of stay curious, don't uh, don't lose your beginner mindset, like continue to kind of ask questions. And that was always encouraged. Like, we do have some good resources. You know, we have our trailhead with us. You know, honestly, you can go in and Google and you can find, you know, I'm trying to uh, up my own knowledge in the whole AI piece at the moment and on my road to becoming a ranger. And I'm focusing on a lot of the AI relations kind of trails and course so we have all that we also do have we have Slack we have loads of Slack channels like you know it's like we've got a for Back to we've got an ecology channel, Ireland South Site Council, Sales Channel. So there are communities around Salesforce and lots of resources that you can tap into. And I think people do that and they're aware of them and we do a lot of time promoting them. But I think 
it's, it'll never be as quick or as easy as turning around to your colleague and said, saying, have you come across that before? Mm-hmm. Have you ever had to write a pitch like that before? Have you ever had to, you know, put a deal like that together before? I mean, you can find it, absolutely. It's all there and we're good at that. But I think the ease of talking it through with someone, you know, like, well, I suppose my way of solving problems, particularly something new that comes at me, is to get a few people into a room and sort of tease it out, you know, how does this look to you? How does that say, you know, and I'm not saying I'll have the answer at the end of that session, but I'll certainly have a way forward. I'll certainly have untangled it to some, to some extent. And I, I personally believe that that is the, that is the joy of, of face-to-face and being in the room with people but we do have a lot of tools we have a lot of you know we you know slack is your digital office we do have our trailhead there's a lot of stuff there for people and salesforce has always en- encouraged people to be curious and ask those questions i mean that's part of their dna hmm. talking there about the role of community and slack communities um do you think that formation of these communities is facilitated by having larger overall policies such as a diversity and inclusion I suppose I think it's, I mean, I think the technology by itself, I'm, I'm on the board of, a, of, of another company who uses Slack as a product and they have, you know, communities of expertise to people of interest around the world. And so I think the fact that, you know, that technology is there and people can do that easily, I think just lends itself to people with similar interests and things kind of getting together. So that, that's one thing. But secondly, I think because we have a huge focus on equality and we have all our equality groups across Salesforce, but also in Ireland, you know, they use then that technology to promote, the, you know, what they're doing. And, and we use like we, you know, like I, I sponsor the Salesforce Women's Network in Ireland, but I'm also part of the whole um, equality strategy. And we use those channels to communicate with each other, to, you know, to get everybody to get in behind each other other's events we used it to build out like we did we did a whole equality vision we used a lot of our technology to help us kind of do that and bring everybody together so I think it's 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 it's, it's a bit of both the technology's there and people who are like-minded gravitate towards and set up their channels but also if you're trying to push something or encourage something you can see that as a, as a great technology for you to do that so I think it's both push and pull probably yeah. you know I'd like to talk a little about the future of work, and it's a conversation that two years ago would have been entirely different, largely because of what we're here to look at today, which is the arrival of AI and GPT and the large language models. And if you were to sit down in this role two years ago, or even look back on your previous experience in telecoms and go, okay, this is the future of work as of today, and looking at, you know, this is the future of work as of two years ago, perhaps, how have the two morphed? Well, I think what's kind of what's, what's maybe different, and you know, and AI as a driver of this is is kind of the speed. You know, like I think if you look at the the the, the numbers, was so like sort of fifteen years to get there in mobile, two and a half years to get like a million whatever on Instagram, and like two months to get at the same amount of users on ChatGPT. So, so I think the speed of What's going on with technology at the moment does feel super revolutionary and AI is absolutely the driver behind that. And there's no doubt that there are jobs, I think, today that are, are done by people that will not be done by people in the future because AI done well, you know, with a trusted partner, with the right, you know, and tools in place around privacy, data protection and all that good stuff will eliminate, you know, some of those roles going forward. But I'd also hope that, you know, it'll create roles. Like, you know, again, at the keynote this morning here, like, you know, if I look at my own sales team, 
do I want them spending their time, you know, writing follow-up e- emails or writing, you know, summary notes after meetings instead of being out in front of customers or trying to design solutions or trying to put deals together? I don't. So, honestly, I think if I can get, you know, AI using customers' data appropriately, you know, trustworthy, whatever, protected, I'd be delighted to, you know, I don't, that's for me not the end of the sales uh, resource. It just means their time is, felt, is, is spent on much more fruitful things. So I think what we spend our time on from a work point of view is going to be different. And I hope we'll spend our time on things that are more value add for ourselves because we probably enjoy, like I, I'd much rather be out talking to a customer than writing up my notes from the call to be honest. That's I'm sure most of us would. Uh, you know, so, and it'll be better for the customer in terms of that value, but also better for the, for the employee uh, as we, you know, as we use I like really, AI is only as good as the data underneath it. So as we get our data house in order, you know, and have that proper view of of, of our of our customers and that unique, you know, that version of the truth, and um, and then we add the AI and we add the add the automation, we can take out some of those roles that maybe aren't as interesting for people to do, um, and we can you know change what we focus on. And, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a bad a bad thing to be honest. You know. One of the things I suppose Salesforce would argue over uh, other solutions, I suppose, is that you do have this single point of truth that information is being entered in the CRM now with the uh, intention of being used by an AI mm. with an additional source of security yeah. on top of it. Mm. Um, how do you see companies coming around to this message that, look, you don't have to adhere to an additional standard if you're GDPR compliant you're fine already what we're doing is adding an extra resource to something you already have you don't have to build something from the ground up well, I think it comes down to our, our position with our customers. I mean, you know, we've been the number one CRM for many years. And in fairness to Salesforce, you know, it's, they had AI with Einstein back in 2016, you know, one trillion recommendations, you know, already. So I think established in that space. And I think in fairness, established as a trusted digital advisor. So I think if customers are dealing with us and have that relationship with us and see us as a trusted digital advisor, which many of them do, I think, you know, going on that AI journey and trusting us with that is a much easier, you know, decision for them to make and a much easier conversation to have than maybe with other companies where, you know, because like, you know, I've worked in other companies and but the, that trust value is absolutely core to Salesforce. It's everywhere and everyone knows it. You know, sometimes values are just on the wall, honestly. In Salesforce, everybody knows values and trust is absolutely kind of number one. And I think we've been talking about that since our inception and people buy into us as that trusted digital advisor. So who better then to trust to bring you on your data automation and AI journey than, than Salesforce? So I, I actually think we have quite a big advantage there because this is going to be tricky to navigate, you know, in terms of, you know, data and privacy and, you know, data protection and all those issues. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely think, you know, um, Salesforce ha- has a lead there because of all the work's done over the years, you know, you know, building that relationship and building that trusted advisor position. Feeding into that discussion then, a couple of weeks ago on the show, we had Mark James from UCD talk about the idea of AI literacy mm. and having this new digital divide that people have to cross to understand the benefits, but also the limits of the technology as well. And to understand that it's not a technology that should be left without supervision. How do you find that message uh, to getting across as well, or are people perhaps being too optimistic or too demanding of AI right now? 
So I, I think maybe there is hasn't been enough work done on that message. You know, you know, the limitations of AI in terms of you know some of the things like bias that can be built in, etc. Um, and explaining that to people. And if you look at some of the data, I think like more than sixty percent of like CEOs see AI in the future of the business for the reason we've talked about just a second ago, you know, automation, better use of your staff and different things. But then more than 60% of customers are a bit nervous about AI because they're they're not sure about their data or whatever. So so I think there is an education job to be done on the, you know, the customer end to explain what AI can and can't do and what you need to have in place around data privacy and trust and security to make people kind of feel feel comfortable with that. So you know, I mean I think everyone always talks about that divide, you know, like, you know, the early adopters, people get there early or whatever. But this is a way that's going really fast. So I think there is a job to be done for all of us um, to, you know, to start explaining that, to explain the limitations and also explain the things you can put in place to, to manage, you know, to manage the, the, those challenges from an AI point of view. Because they are known um, maybe inside, our, you know, our community or whatever. And it's probably our job as part, as everyone's job is to get those messages out there and explain to, you know, our customers and to the general public about how, how it works. I think one particularly valuable critique of AI has been the reliance on old data yeah. and old language models. Uh, I imagine CRM based company doesn't necessarily have that problem because you're constantly dealing with updated information or are you adopting sort of a, a wait and see approach that we use data up to a certain point, evaluate, or is it a rolling process? I think it's a, it is a rolling process. I like I with customers in, in Salesforce done this week and uh, a very um, customer focused uh, company that has lots of say structured data, but they would also say their secret sauce is the unstructured data in, you know, in their people, in their team, you know, on a laptop, in a notebook, in, in like in someone's head or whatever. And, you know, so no AI is going to be able to do anything that unless that's put in to like a structured, protected environment. So in some ways, you know, data and the journey we've all been on with, and I've never met a company that says our data is brilliant. We have it all in one place. We have a single view. I've never, ever met a company that says, so I, so I think, you know, for, for us to get the real benefit of AI, we have to get that data piece sorted and working. And I, I think that's a journey. That's a journey for everyone. And almost every customer, I mean, I've met customer today as well. Every customer I talk to, that is, you know, a, you know, a big challenge for them. How do we pull all that stuff together? And, you know, I, I think obviously Data Cloud plays a role there. But unless companies get that bit right, then I don't think they'll be able to leverage the AI. And that they also may, may also end up dealing with the limitations of AI because the data isn't right or you, or you haven't got the complete picture, you haven't got the complete story. And that's where you get your biases and all those other things in there, which we all want to avoid. Yeah. One last point then that's uh, worth uh, discussing. Is the role of ethics in AI, again, a rolling process? It's a discussion that's going to have to evolve with the technology. Um, where do you see ethics sitting in the corporate structure? Is it going to be something that is brought in from universities on a consultancy level? Or do you think it's time to have more in-house ethicists? So, so we have in-house ethicists in, in Salesforce. But, but I, you know, I think any company um, going on an AI journey should not just be talking about the technology, should be doing, well, what's our AI policy now? as well you know how do we plan to use this how do we think about it ethically or whatever I, I I don't think this should be something where you you put in the technology and you do that afterwards I think you know you know if you think of board risk committees you know and the things that are on their agendas like you know cybersecurity and all the things that are on whatever you know 
as AI comes into organizations, I think Boris and they should be saying, well, what's our, you know, what's our AI policy? You know, what, what, how do we want to use that? To how are we, where are we comfortable? Where are we not? You know, what are our partners? You know, do we trust them? Are they certified? Et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think that needs to be part of the overall conversation now. And now's the time to have that, not, you know, when we have all the models in and working or whatever. So, so I, I absolutely think that's the job of companies. And I think some companies are starting to think about it, but some companies are just kind of thinking about the technology. But I, I think you need to think about that whole AI ecosystem and everything that kind of goes with that. And you mentioned risk there. And just very quickly, the uh, AI Act working its way through the EU at the moment does take a risk-based approach to evaluating AI. Uh, what's your opinion on it? I mean, so we need, you know, I think... So I'm not anti-regulation, but I, like I do think you know, data protection. If I look at the one, the previous one, which is data protection, you know, it, it was very complicated. You know, as a, as a win in the outcome and for companies, uh, and not so much for the big companies because the big companies will have teams and they'll be able to pull all this stuff in place. I think it was quite difficult for the for the smaller companies. So I suppose I'd urge the balance between you know, implementation. You know, getting the right. You know, it's the, the right risk appetite. You know, I mean, you know, we can all have an extreme risk appetite where we miss all the benefits or we can have a lousy fair risk appetite. I mean, whatever. So I would say they need to get that risk appetite balance right. And they also need to think about the impact on the companies who are going to have to take that and kind of make it, you know, make it happen, you know. And that was Niall Kitson with Salesforce country leader for Ireland, Caroline Lennon. This is Tech Radio. That's it for our show this week. Just before we go, we've time for just one more thing. Direct from heaven, as always, Steve Jobs. Thanks, Dusty. There are a ton more more stories online we didn't have time to talk about in the podcast today, including the UK's Competition and Markets Authority examining the Adobe Figma deal, the legal problems brought up by generative AI, and we congratulate the Irish winners at the European Patent Awards. You'll find all those and more online at techcentral.ie. Thanks, Steve. We're back again next Friday on RTE Radio 1 Extra. And of course, you can get new episodes automatically by clicking follow on your podcast player right now if you haven't done so already. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, thank you so much for listening. Take care. Tech Radio is produced by DustPod.io. From me, Artemis, goodbye. Goodbye.